Okay, I think we're going to get started, 9.30. Um, if I can start by stating the obvious, um, we obviously have a very special Sunday school this morning because God had the notes come out on very special paper, you might notice. It was either that or I didn't know Carol had the thicker paper in the printer when I made 40 copies, so you can decide which one it is, but either way, God always has something special in store for us, so I look forward to what he's going to lay on our heart. First Corinthians 11, we'll be looking at... Verses 27 to 34, Lenny started the passage, or at least this part of the passage last week. I'll be adding on, but first we'll open in prayer and give this time to God. Lord, I thank you. It it always amazes me. Uh, Weeks ago I started looking at this, and now here I am sitting in a seat ready to talk about it. uh, What I always thought was going to happen, and yet so much could have happened in those weeks, and yet they didn't. spoke to my heart, you gave me something to say, and now you're giving me the honor to say it, and I thank you, I thank you for everyone that you brought here, Lord, they should not take for granted that they're here either, um, because not everyone will be here today, for whatever reason, Lord, uh, we are, so I thank you for that, Lord, I thank you for seeing Lauren, I pray that she can have a good time uh, reuniting with um, some friends, and uh, just, we never know what each Sunday's going to bring. I thank you for bringing back those who were on their vacation. Lord, it's it's all in your hands. We're your children. We're your sheep. You're our shepherd. You care for us. You protect us and you guide us. And I know that's what you're going to do, or at least want to do. We have to let you. But as we study this passage, to just know you better, Lord, as we talked about yesterday, I pray everyone here knows you. I, I want to take that for granted, but that's between you and them. But for those of us who know you, Lord, please help us know you better through the study of your word and through submitting to your spirit. So we thank you in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so here we go. 1 Corinthians 11. I will read verses 27 to 34. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. Even if you weren't here last week, I think that's a familiar enough passage to realize that that's the one that kind of gets tacked on to the end of Paul's description of the Lord's Supper. It's what Lenny preached about last week, uh, taught about last week. I'm not going to go over all of that again. But if I asked you the one thing that Paul made sure that the Corinthians knew about that Lord's Supper, it's that Jesus said to do it in remembrance of... Him, me meaning him, agreed? And to the Jews, that meant one thing, because they had been doing it for centuries, in remembrance of the deliverance from Egypt, the deliverance, you know, being taken out. And Jesus like, no, 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 do it in remembrance of me. And so he was telling them, I know that this is what it used to represent, but even when it did represent that, it represented me. We don't so much have that issue. No one here struggles when we have communion. Oh, that's right, this isn't about uh, escaping from Egypt anymore. Like, our mind doesn't even go there. I think we naturally do it in remembrance of him, at least in general terms. We can always, you know, get better at that. 
But I find it interesting that after Paul quotes everything that Jesus said to do in remembrance of him, I would argue that Paul's commentary, Paul's conclusion afterward, is that there's something else they also need to remember. That's why the title is Remember This, but then in very small parentheses, too. Remember this also. Paul's not taking away from the fact that we need to remember Jesus, but like Lenny said last week, remembering Jesus isn't the same as remembering to grab milk on the way home at the store. There there needs to be value to it. There needs to be life effect to it. And that's why as Jesus is saying, do this in remembrance of me, Paul's saying, yeah, but in order to do that, you have to remember this too. You have to remember these things about yourself. So that's what we're going to look at. I believe there are three things here. Again, we don't have communion today, but if you think about what communion really means, the Lord's Supper was the bread and the and the juice, but the law, uh, communion means to be in fellowship with. That's not something that we do once a month for an hour. We're striving to always be in fellowship with him, and I think the three things that are listed here specific to the Lord's Supper are true for all times that we want to be in communion with him. So here we go. Verse 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. We all know that this passage is sadly very misunderstood, misinterpreted. It actually just happened last week. I don't know if they did communion at the nine o'clock service also, but uh, we went out to hear Gina's cousin preach and it just happened to be a communion service. And the person who was kind of running the service is admittedly a little extreme in this area, a little more extreme than maybe the entire church feels. Um, And again, I don't know what it was like at the nine o'clock, but at the 11, at least like six to eight times, he very politely said, and if, and if you are not striving to live a life worthy of the Lord, we here at North Shore Bible Baptist politely ask that you refrain from taking this communion. And if you don't see yourself striving to grow, we politely ask. He always asked politely, but he kept saying, please, almost as if they would be guilty by association if someone who wasn't worthy of the, and if you didn't see, I just put air quotes, I had to, I'll explain why in a second, if you weren't worthy of it, please don't take it because you are drinking judgment, the King James would say damnation, on yourself. But we know that's not what it's saying. It doesn't say whoever therefore is unworthy to eat the bread or drink the cup. It says whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. Now, I don't know if they changed that because of the King James. The King James says, eats and drinks unworthily. And people said, well, that's where the idea came from. Come on. Like, I'm not an English major. But if you're eating and drinking unworthily, then the unworthy is referring to how you're eating and drinking. And there is no worthy or unworthy way to eat or drink. There just isn't. You open your mouth, you put it in, you swallow. We know that an unworthy manner refers to the heart you're doing it with. The attitude, the mindset, that's what would make eating and drinking worthy or unworthy. So on the one hand, of course I disagree with this idea that, well, as you're remembering Jesus, you better remember if you're worthy or not. No, because if any of us were worthy, we wouldn't need communion. Jesus wouldn't have died for you, if you understand. But like I always do, guess what my very first thing we need to remember is? That we're unworthy. 
It's one of those oxymorons. I'm sorry, it's not a remember you're unworthy to determine if you should take it or not. No. But please see me afterwards. If you think that there's... I don't know. How else could the Corinthians be doing this? I don't think they were defiantly shaking their hand at God and saying, I don't care what your son did for me. I'm hungry. I don't think so. I've got to think that on some level they had just gotten kind of comfortable. They had kind of lost sight... They, they remembered what Jesus did, but they kind of forgot why he did it. So yes, we do have to, I mean, again, what, what word did I almost use there? Humble. Yes, as God keeps speaking to my heart. We need to humble ourselves. If we want to make sure that we do it in remembrance of him, I don't know what goes through any of your minds, but when we're doing communion and we have that little moment of self-meditation, my mind, do, when, do in remembrance of me, I picture him. I do. I picture him suffering on the cross. I picture what he did. I picture what he went through. But it is very possible to picture all of those things and kind of dilute why he did all of those things. You don't mean it, but you're so caught up in, oh my goodness, what an amazing thing he did. And you don't finish that with, and I'm so sorry that you had to do that because I'm unworthy. So I don't, I don't think I'm saying anything I don't know. You understand. It's, a, it's an unworthy mindset that's going to humble us before the Father to really help us eat and drink worthily, to not be guilty of the body and blood of Christ. All that means, it means to be liable, to, to be, that, that that could be held against you. Now, it's nothing eternal, but just that, that he did these things for you and you're going to take them so lightly, that should never be the case. So I've got three bullets. You can fill in whatever you want. But as I strive, I don't know why God didn't have this happen two weeks ago. I don't know. Two weeks ago would have been perfect. As we're about to go into communion, remember these things. Well, he did give me a shot at communion. And I talked about how much I need him. That's fine. I needed to remember that at the time, and I'm still trying to focus on that. But now, two weeks later, this morning, a few days before Thanksgiving, right? I mean, there's all... John, is this really the best time to think about how unworthy you are before the Father? I'll say Yes. And I don't really care when you ask me. So three things that we can remember, just to help us remember how unworthy we are, not to beat us up and not to defeat us, but just to get our mindset where it should be. The first one, most obviously, is that you're a sinner. I know we know we're sinners. I get it. I also know, I know, I need him. But I go through many of my days kind of forgetting (laughs) Not, not focused on it, not meditating on it. And how easy is it, like I said, to thank Jesus for what he did and not be broken over why he had to do it. So the, our unworthiness starts at our being a sinner. So I know we don't need some of these verses on the back, but they're on the back. So we'll start with, uh, let's see, Matthew, if you can give me Romans 3, 23, and then Joey, if you can give me 1 John 1, 8 to 10. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Okay, so we're all familiar with Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one's going to argue that. Sometimes it's good to remember as we keep pointing our finger at the wicked and how sinful they are and realize that finger points right back at us. 
Um, but I just love what I would call the sandwich of 1 John 1, 8 to 10. That's just how I see it. I'm sorry. Two pieces of bread with meat in the middle. There's bread that says if you say you've had, you have no sin, you're deceiving yourself. What that's referring to is, you, yeah, but it's already forgiven. There's no, you know, it's not, I'm not going to lose my salvation over this. Well, guess what? You're fooling yourself. Those things do matter. And then at the other end, and if you say you haven't sinned, that the things you're doing actually aren't sin, well, now you're calling God a liar. We're not in First John right now. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. But right in the middle of that sandwich, how you could lie to yourself or you could lie to yourself, you also have the option of just confessing that sin. Just confess it because he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Without that middle part, my sin is depressing. My sin is discouraging. My sin is disqualifying. My sin... But there's that middle. That's what Paul wants for the people. As you're thinking that you're an unworthy sinner, it's true, but confess that over. That should be the heart as we have that silent self-meditation um, before communion. We do that so that people can stop and examine themselves, and in the process of examining, giving things over to God. Um, I don't know if this is the best place to put this, but I wanted to say it like three times, and I keep forgetting. In the sermon, in the... I heard a really cool, I'm probably saying it too early, but I'm going to forget later, um, that when the, and if I already said it, I'm getting old. So just remind me later, that when the angel of death, did I say this already, passed over um, the, the homes, okay, it wasn't because of who was in the home, it was because of the blood that was on the land. I, I love that. He didn't, did I say it already? Okay. Okay. See, I did. I didn't think I did. But I just let, that's really stuck with me. It's not by who is in there. It's not, am I worthy, am I unworthy? No, it's about his blood. But that unworthiness still gives us the correct mindset, that little reminder. You're right. I, I mean, I know some of you, you know, whatever. We got saved at different stages of life. I do not remember a time of my life where I wasn't saved. I just don't. I don't remember, and I thank God for that. But if anything, it is a little harder for me to stop and meditate and say, yeah, you know something? You're a sinner. I feel like I've been his kid forever, which technically I have, but you know what I mean. I'm going to keep going because I don't want to ramble, and I have a lot of stuff to go here. But one, we are a sinner. That, that obviously makes us unworthy. Two, not only are you a sinner, and again, if you don't get this by now, come find me, but we weren't seeking him. When's the last time you thought about that? When is the last time that when we were celebrating and remembering what Christ did for us, we realized that he did it and we didn't even ask him to, we didn't even want him to. Uh, we'll just keep going around the table. Mikey, can you give me Isaiah 53, 6, which is on the back, of course, and Anthony Romans 5, 8. All we like have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Our Lord has laid on him the iniquity of the So Anthony, wait one second. I'm, I'm going to stop a couple times. Who is Isaiah referring to here? And yes, it's us. But in context... Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, you're so much deeper than I meant. In the verse, it says it right there. Sheep. I mean, really, the more we stop and think that, a sheep does not stop and meditate and think, I wonder if I should follow this. A sheep's going to do what a sheep wants to do. That's why they use the example. And the shepherd comes along and says, yeah, I know you want to do that, but you're coming with me. What a beautiful and humbling thought. Again, if you... Or a quote, free willer here, I, I get the heart you're coming from. 
But man, are you missing a ridiculously foundational truth. You never would have chosen him if you were left to your own devices. He chose you. Yes, it should give you a knot in the stomach, but not a Judas knot in your stomach, a Peter knot in your stomach. One that just makes you want to come running back to your Lord and Savior and thanking Him for what He did. As we remember what He did, remember that we never asked Him or would have asked, which is what Anthony's going to read. Ready, Anthony? I didn't know it was going to land on you, sir, but here we go. Oh my goodness, that verse makes no sense. Everybody's a sinner. Of course He died for us while we were still sinners. What is that verse saying? That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Died for us before we were saved. True, which kind of makes sense. Why would he have died for us if we weren't sinners? It's not referring to your state of sin. It's referring to your heart. That before you ever even realized you were a sinner, before you ever cared, before you even... He's like, it doesn't matter. I'm your shepherd. I'm doing this for you. Before you ever sought me out or even realized you needed to seek me, God wasn't up in heaven saying, which some people think, well, let me just look through the corridor of time and see who was going to want to choose me. Okay, fine. Then I'll say, okay, that's enough, people. Jesus is worth dying. No. Before the beginning of time, while we were still dead in our sins, Christ died for us. Again, what am I trying to get at? This idea that worthiness is not determined if you take it or not. But wow, will it humble our hearts and keep us from taking it for granted the way the Corinthians did. We're sinners. Um, we're, we, we, we're never going to seek him. And we know it is called a... Thank you, sir. Gift. So I guess we're up to you anyway. Sir, if you can give me Romans six twenty-three, And then, John, you'll give us Galatians 2, 16. For the wages of sin is death. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What are wages, sir? Death. No, no, no. What are wages? Um, payment for your work. Yeah, it's, it's what you've earned. It's what you deserve. And what's a gift? A gift is uh, something freely. Something yeah, I'll be honest. This occurred to me as I was preparing. Sorry if I step on any toes here. But man, there are people who think they deserve birthday gifts. Oh, boy. They're actually offended if they don't get enough gifts or nice enough gifts. Then you don't know what a gift is. You know who deserves a birthday gift? Your mother. She's the only one who went through anything on the day of your birth. You did absolutely nothing. My wife should be getting three, well, four if you count me, but three gifts. It's really, but but isn't it amazing how easy it is for us to think, well, it's a gift, but no, it's a gift. It's a gift. It was given to us. Let's be thankful we don't get what we deserve, but because it's a gift, John, Galatians 2, 16... So once again, a beautiful balance. It really is amazing how often Scripture does this, and I think we take it for granted. You take out parts of that verse, and all you hear is how unworthy you are. And yet you read the whole verse, and it says, oh yeah, oh, you're totally unworthy. And that's why Christ did what he did, so that you could be worthy, so that you could be justified. We know a person is not justified by works of the law, 
but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ. That's what some people miss when they talk about being unworthy of taking communion. Yes, you're unworthy in and of yourself, but as much as you are unworthy, you most certainly are worthy. That's bullet uh, Roman numeral two. You are worthy. That's why verse 28 says, let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. There is no if there. There is no, and let the person examine himself, and if he's good enough, and if he passes the test, and if he, no. Examine yourself, which there's a little bit of an if there. Of course, if you examine yourself and you see all your sin and all your unworthiness and you're like, I don't care, I'm hungry. Yeah, then you're bringing some kind of judgment on yourself. What assumption is made when you examine yourself? Repentance. Yeah, that you will honestly come before God, you will repent, you will ask Him, whatever it might be. You don't come to Him healed, you come to Him wanting healing. That's it. That's all He wants. God is not in heaven saying, well, I know you're saying that, but I'm not sure you mean it. He, he knows the heart. Well, prove it to me for a couple weeks. Come back next month and we'll reconsider. No. All he wants is to be in fellowship and communion with us, which we cannot be if we have unrepentant sin in our life. Things that we are well aware of and flat out, uh, it doesn't matter. This is too important to me. Uh, Dino, I guess, is in security. Okay, but in the men's group yesterday, I think it was him, right, who talked about, we were looking at pastors, Colossians 3, that he... Uh, challenged us to, to memorize, and it said, uh, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And he was commenting how, you know, we think of idolatry as an idol, but no, anything that you're like, no, I need to hold on to these things. These things are more important to me. I can't, I have to still have anger and wrath and malice. And no, no, that's idolatry. So same thing here. If we're not, we are worthy in him, but not worthy in and of ourselves. Our worthiness is in what he did for us. So how can we focus on that worthiness? The first thing I'm going to say is that you are saved. I debated whether to say were or are, because I know you are, but we're reflecting, right? We're remembering. So if I can word that a little bit differently, God decided you were worth saving. I don't know. Maybe that's a daily truth in your life. I don't know how often I stop and, think, and I know, I did it just for his glory. I totally get it, but not everyone's going to heaven. Not everyone's eyes are going to be opened. And he said, yeah, but I'm going to open yours. I want you to give me the honor and glory you deserve. And now look at that in the light of someone who says, yeah, but I, I'm not good enough. Yeah, but I, I can't have communion with you. Yeah, no thanks. I, it totally defeats what he created you for. It totally defeats what he wants you for. You're not worthy because of your definition of worthy, but your definition of worthy doesn't matter. Doesn't that happen all the time? Two people can look at one object and one person thinks that's worth paying for and someone else thinks it isn't. Like, worthiness really is in the eye of the beholder, and guess who the beholder is? It's God. God is the one who says, you are worthy. That's why in 1 John, a book all about fellowship, it says when your heart condemns you, God is greater than your heart and knows all things. Rest in that. Trust in that. Don't let that unworthiness, which we most certainly are, overwhelm you. Don't let it defeat you. 
It's true. You look at your list of qualifications and they are all miserable failures. The best of your best is, is filthy rags in God's eyes. That's not, that's just supposed to humble us to realize, and yet he still says I'm worthy? Yes, because of what his son did for you. Yes, I, I love, uh, I want to do my verses in order. Yeah, good. 1 Corinthians 6.11. I'll be honest, I, I've heard this verse so many times and I just really feel like God spoke it to me a different way this time. Mike, can you give me 1 Corinthians 6.11? Such a covenant Okay, so maybe it's just me. You know, we're all entitled to our blind spots. But I'd always, and such were some of you, but it just always spoke to my heart. Well, you used to be that way, but now you're a new creation. Now you're almost like you don't do those things anymore. That's not at all what it's saying. (laughs) It's not at all that you used to do this, but now you do this. No. Such were some of you. You did all the things the world were doing. And then there's all these passive verbs coming up. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. And it's not what you're doing. It's not that you're this amazingly better person now. And now you are worthy of communion. No. You were wallowing in your death of sin. And God came along and washed you. And sanctified you. And justified you in the name of that's why you are worthy. That needs to be in our mind somewhere as we prepare to take communion on the first Sunday of the month. But any time that we strive to meditate on our relationship and our fellowship with him, it's that you need both sides of the coin. That awareness of how unworthy you are and yet because of what Christ did, how worthy you are. You're washed. You're sanctified. You're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by our spirit of God. And he doesn't even make it difficult. Right, Shannon? As you read Romans 10, 9. Yes. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I mean, oh, those words roll off our tongue. Too, I'm glad it's easy. I'm glad it's part of my vernacular. But man, that's all he asked. That's all he asked to go from this miserable, unworthy sinner to being washed sanctified and justified just believe that's it you believe in his son and that makes you quote worth saving i know that sentence doesn't make sense but but in in our, in our mindset as we get as we do prepare to take communion as we do prepare to go to service and listen to god preach his word as we do prepare to sing praise praise songs to him that's it as unworthy as we are we're worthy we're worthy because he saved us So he must see us as worthy through the blood of his son. But not only does he call us worthy, we're also secure. Yes, isn't that nice? As we head to communion, it's one thing to be worthy, meaning you qualify for something. Yes? Imagine if, uh, oh, okay, college students. Yes? College students apply for scholarships. And if it's a one-year scholarship and you qualify, you were considered worthy for that year. And then you reapply the next year, and you hope that you're found worthy again. Look, if God said that's what I'd have to do, I'd sign up in a heartbeat. The fact that I even have a chance at being found worthy in his eyes is beyond comprehension. But it's not even a chance. It's a done deal. Like, we are justified in his eyes. His son's 
payment, his son's reconciliation, his son's propitiation, isn't a on-again, off-again that some people think it is. I know we know that. But these are a lot of thoughts to go through our mind when all we're doing is quick eating. A ju- you know what I mean? Like it's easy to let communion come and go and not think these things. Sir? I, I, this kind of makes me think of like, uh, my mind goes right to the women of the Holy Home and Teen Challenge and things like that. Uh, a good portion of the reason, you know, a lot of people that end up turning to substance abuse and other things, obviously because of past traumas and all that, but because they don't feel worthy. And they're looking for value in, in um, humankind, man. And yet, the only value that even matters is God. It's God placing value on you. And um, the fact that He deemed you worthy enough to save you and want to have a relationship with you. Um, so that's just what I think of when you say. Yeah, That's a beautiful example because as much as we don't want them, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, destroyed, by their past, we also don't want them acting like it never happened, right? We all need to acknowledge, Lord, I am unworthy, but your son's blood makes me worthy. And it's just a beautiful, I I don't know how we couldn't go into communion or fellowship or anything with him if we have both of those in the front of our mind. DJ? Um, You said the word wallowing, and I went right back to Ezekiel and the whole idea of him finding Israel and everything in there is what he did. Mm -hmm. Israel did nothing. Amen. Absolutely nothing to be uh, sought. Um, You're talking about um, being worthy. I I always look at it as we're betrayers. We betrayed God's love. Mm -hmm. And betrayal is one of the hardest things to get over. Amen. Yeah, I like betrayal better. I would have said we're covenant breakers, which is also true. And yet, like you just said, there's breaking a covenant and there's betrayal. But betrayal, really, after everything he did for us. And that's why, well, that's why we have to be there for each other as well. Because this stuff all sounds great until you get lost in the depths of your heart. And we need to be there for each other and keep edifying and building one another up. Amen. So, Lenny, can you give me John 10, 28 and 29? And then Sharon, Romans 8, 1. And then I have a question for all of you. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my hand. And then Sharon, before you read, sorry Len, but you just said them a lot. I'm sorry? You just said them a lot. In context, just look at the verse before it. Who's the them? True, but in context, look at the verse right before it. Doesn't he once again refer to sheep? Right? That's all I know. I know we know it's believers, but can we be honest? Sometimes the word believer and the word sheep take on very different meanings when they shouldn't. Right? They're sheep. These sheep, no one will snatch these sheep from my hand because these sheep love me so much and serve me so much. No. These sheep will gladly head, but no, they're my sheep. What an amazing way to wrap your... But if I'm that unworthy, how could I still be worthy? Because he says you are. Because he says you are mine and no one's getting you. And, and Sharon, of course, the great encouragement of Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. No condemnation ever. So... 
God took me down so many. If you knew how many potential outlines I had, it's because it's a short passage. Does anyone see the Easter egg that's there on purpose because it's how God spoke to my heart? I don't blame you if you don't, but it's there. I would like you to look at all the passages I ask you to read. And in every set of two, there is a common thread. You're close, sir. Yeah, to be honest, I grew up big time with this, and maybe you haven't. That's another reason I said it. Have we ever heard of the Romans Road? Yes. Yeah. Dave, what's the Romans Road? Yeah, so Not what is it, but you know what I mean. What yeah, is it? It's right. Romans 3.23, mm-hmm. Romans 5.8, 6.23. So there's five or six passages that you, we were witnessing. Thank you. Yes. I promise Dave and I did not set that up. I promise. Dave knows that the Romans Road is what you use when you want to. Witness to someone else. You want someone else to realize that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Because the wages of your sin is death, but the free gift is eternal life through Jesus. And all you have to do is believe in your heart and confess with your mouth and you will be saved. And there's no condemnation. And we want that, again, if we could leave a lection out for a second, because especially if you're using the Romans road, you probably grew up in a somewhat free will. But oh my goodness, we want that to what? Open people's eyes to help them understand how unworthy you are and yet how worthy you are. And oh my goodness, why do we think that's for them? If God wants to use it for them, he can. But the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. We are the ones that have to keep walking this Romans road. We are the ones that have to keep being reminded that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But he died for us while we were yet sinners. That's how much he loves us. We deserve death. But he's given us a gift. We get to see these things in the past tense. We get to see these things looking back. But it was amazing how I didn't mean for that to happen. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, wow. You know, I mean, think about, again, the emotion that you want that unsaved person to feel when all these truths are revealed. Think about the emotion you felt when all those truths were revealed. How dull has that gotten? I don't know. Maybe it hasn't. Maybe that's a new and real truth. I don't know. But when's the last time we pointed the finger at us and walked that Romans road? Because it beautifully gives you both sides of how unworthy we are and yet how worthy we are because it really spoke to my heart. Something that I really always kind of thought pointed out and really post-salvation, you better believe, points in. DJ. You know that you always have trouble putting ourselves in the place of sheep. And it's because we look at ourselves, well, oh, Christianity is a reasoning thing. Therefore, if we are Christians, we must be reasoning, okay, well, maybe we are now because mm-hmm. of what Christ is right. because of what the Spirit is doing in our hearts. But um, as, as, as I, from everything I've heard, okay, goats, they may have wild goats, but I have never heard of a wild sheep. Because if you knew anything about sheep, they're helpless. Mm-hmm. They can't survive on their own. They're completely domesticated animals. And the only, they only will belong to a shepherd. And the shepherd speaks. They hear his voice. And that's the, shepherd, the sheep in that sheepfold will only follow that shepherd. Yep. And so 
it, and everything, it all points back to the idea that it's God doing it. Amen. And I know I can remember a time when I started seeking after God. Mm -hmm. I hadn't done it before that. I mean, I knew who he was. I was, you know, I, I loved him and I thought he was wonderful and everything. But I didn't go after him until one moment when he changed my thinking. And then the reasoning began there. Amen. Amen. I, I certainly hope we can all relate to that. Uh, only you know if you can. But that is the undeniable truth. That being unworthy and being worthy is not only possible, but is essential. You are going to take things like communion, things like God's word, things like your salvation for granted if you lose sight of just how unworthy you are. But those things are going to overwhelm and destroy even the best of hearts if you ever lose sight of the fact, yeah, but in him... We are worthy. Again, just one more time. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. The goal is always that when that bread and cup are being passed, everyone participates. People think that it's, well, I, it really is a sign. I want nothing to do with this. I'm sorry. That's what you're saying when you don't participate. Whether you mean it or not, it's the only way it can be taken that as God begs you, be in fellowship with me. I don't think anyone here would ever shake a fist at God. You're, no, it's John, it's all right. You just don't know what I'm going through. Trust me, I don't deserve this right now. I'm just telling you what God's word says. None of us deserve it. And yet he wants all of us to partake in it so that we can be in fellowship with him. Okay, so for sake of time, the, the rest of the passage I feel says one thing. It doesn't just say that we're unworthy or that we're worthy, but that it says we're accountable, right? For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. So that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. It's that accountability factor. I'm sorry, let's just be honest. We talked about it in a men's group yesterday. You lose sight of that accountability factor. You lose sight of why you should be doing it, and it just becomes a great discussion. I think we've all been there. You've heard that great sermon that really spoke to your heart, and then by Tuesday you don't remember what it was on. But you remember you liked it, right? It's, it's no good. We're going to be held accountable. You need to know that. There's a ton of scriptures that say it, but for sake of time, I want to stick to what this says, and I believe Paul says that that accountability comes from two aspects. The first one comes from being his child. Right? Where am I getting that from? It says we will be... Verse 32. My version says disciplined. Yes? Right? What does the Bible say about who God disciplines? Those whom He loves. Sue, could you read for me Hebrews 12, 6 through 8? And then Dave, while she's doing that, Psalm 119, 71. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. 
If you want to be his child, of course you have to be willing to endure discipline. You don't have to like it, right? If Sue kept reading, she'd get to the point that says no discipline is enjoyable at the time. But once you've endured it, you will reap the benefits of righteousness and growing in the knowledge of God. So as his child, what in the world makes you think that he's not going to hold you accountable for whether you take communion lightly, reading your Bible lightly, you know, pastor always talks about people on their phone during service. I hope you're not on your phone during service. I, I, I hope. That's between you and God, to be honest. But if you're his child, you know, I think we get that backwards. But I thought God loves his kids. Exactly. He loves his kids. So he wants what's best for them. So he's not going to let you play with fire. He's not going to let you get lazy. He's not going to let you do things that are ultimately going to hurt you. It is for your benefit as his child, which is why Dave has Psalm 119.71. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. All right, sir, so I'm sorry. He's glad he got afflicted? He's glad he was disciplined? He was looking forward to it? Keep talking. Yeah, it's like, it's like right in practice. You mess up, you got to run laps, you got to run laps, you got to run laps until you learn. So using Dave's analogy, he's not glad he screwed up. The Bible's definitely not saying that, right? Paul says, um, let me sin more that grace may abound. Certainly not. But, can we please for a second be thankful that when we do screw up, we have a father who loves us so much that he'll do what he has to, to break our legs, so to speak, as, as a shepherd would have to do for a sheep, to teach us that being closest to him is what's best for us, to not let us, because lead us not into temptation, Right? If he did not keep intervening, we would just keep going down a road, going down a road, going down a road, going down a cliff. So we need to be thankful, not that we're being disciplined, because if we were to judge ourselves, did you catch it? Verse 31, if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. God's not up there looking for reasons to spank us. Do you understand? If we judged ourselves, then he'd say, okay, good, you have learned your lesson. Okay, good, you did, re- you did react to my spirit when he spoke to your heart. But if not, you're fooling yourself if you think you can just go through the motions. If you're his child, if you're not his child, no offense, it doesn't matter. You can have an awesome life here on earth, and it doesn't matter because an eternity without him awaits. But as his child, why would you even want him to keep turning a blind eye? Oh God, just let me get away with it this one time. I'll be better next time. Why? He's going to hold us accountable as his child, but then in closing, also as siblings. Is there a difference between being a child and being siblings, Michael? Oh, yeah. yes. Of course there is. And if you don't go where I want you to, say what you're going to say, and then I'll tw- go. What's the difference? Okay, but a child is in relationship to... To your parents. It's a, it's a this way relationship. A sibling is a this way relationship. And that's why he says things. Lenny did it last week, but I'm just going to keep. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. So that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. <laughs> I'm sorry, I had to learn this lesson. I specifically remember. God, you know, this is between me and you. In fact, I also specifically remember in the 30 seconds I have left, and I'll, 
sitting at my dining room, no, kitchen table, kitchen table, arguing with my mother. I was probably about 12, because guess what she was telling me? Just 10 seconds, guess. What was my mother telling me when I was 12? No. You and your sister are going to get along someday. I'm like, Ma, you don't get it. I literally hate her. Those words came out of my mind. I literally, this has nothing to do with how old I am. I hate her. I remember it. I can see it. Me and my sister get along great now. But at the time, my relationship with my siblings was very different than my relationship with my parents. And I look back now and realize how much I must have killed my mother to hear her say that I hate my sister. But oh my goodness, I did. I'm just telling you. And I think she hated me too. I'm so glad my kids didn't grow up. But oh my goodness. We can't just think that our relationship with God, that's why the greatest commandment is love him and love your neighbor. So just, you know, in closing, Alvin, if you can give me... Philippians 2, 4, and John, if you can give me Galatians 6, 2, just as far as our relationship with our siblings. Let each of you look not only into his own interest, but also the interest of others. Okay, not just others. It's okay, you've got things you... But just don't only be looking out for yourself. Also be looking out for others. And then, Janet, thank you. It's just on the back. Yeah, the, the bottom person. Thank you. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Horizontal vertical. Bear one another's burdens and you'll be fulfilling the law of Christ. So again, do this in remembrance of Christ. Always. But all my the Corinthians maybe fall into the trap of thinking, oh, we, we are remembering him. Yeah, but you got to remember this too. How unworthy you are how worthy you are because of what Christ did, and how accountable you are based on what you do with that knowledge. All right. Thank you all. Lord, I do thank you. Um, uh, I thank you that this isn't something that we'll ever be done thinking about. Lord, we will never understand the depths of our depravity. We will never understand the perfection of your son's blood. Um, But we 100% trust in it. Lord, I I certainly pray that no one here doubts it, that no one here struggles with it, that anyone here thinks that their sin is greater um, than your son's blood. Lord, that's uh, trying to think of a phrase you gave me recently and I don't remember it, but it certainly was along that line, Lord, that our sin cannot uh, be greater than your son's payment. It just isn't. And I thank you for that. Thank you for the truth of propitiation Lord, now that we know it, it's just, what do we do with it? How do we use it to know you better? How do we use it to commune with you better? How do we use it to serve each other better? I mean, that's why you're teaching us, Lord. You give it to us so that we can learn it, but then so that we can apply it. And I thank you that you have us all in different circles, because that means we'll all have different ways to apply it. And then hopefully come back, whether it be community group, whether it be anywhere, and just share how you're working in our life and give you all the praise and honor you deserve. Uh, So Lord, we pray for Pastor as he prepares the sermon. Uh, For Lenny, Lord, what you spoke on his heart tonight. And then for all of us, whatever today holds, that we give you honor and glory as we, Lord, we are sheep, but with your spirit we are more than conquerors, and we can do exactly what you created us to do. And I thank you for your patience as we strive to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.